You know, guys, I, I was sitting there uh, just as the choir was wrapping up thinking, y'all know another verse of that? I could go for a little bit more of that this morning. That, that's good. That's real good. And I'll, Let me tell you something before I get started. If you want to turn in your Bibles to Mark, Mark chapter 5, um, what you have here is very special. I don't know if you guys realize that or not. One of the things I've been able to do over the years and the way that God has called me into ministry is to be at a lot of different places. I've preached at a lot of different churches, uh, from the little hole-in-the-wall churches to uh, churches in northern United States to uh, uh, larger congregations. And I'm just going to tell you, you guys have something very, very special. There is a, a freedom here to worship and a spirit here that provokes the people to worship. And church, hang on to it. Fight for it. Cultivate it in the culture of the church. Never let it go because it's not everywhere. I mean, I've been in those churches where the tumbleweeds are rolling down the aisles and you hear the crickets chirping when you're up there trying to sing or preach. And uh, it's just a great thing. It really is. And I don't know what the days ahead hold for Lindell first, uh, but you've got a powerful mixture here. And I know God has his, his hands all over you. His presence is in this place. And lives are changed because of what happens right here in this building on Sundays. It doesn't just happen on Sundays. It happens all through the week. But because of what happens in this building on Sunday, this congregation is effective in this community. So, so hang on to it. This morning I want to talk to you about um, what is probably one of the most unusual yet remarkable chapters in all of the gospel. Um, the chapter contains just 43 verses, uh, not a ton of verses in it in comparison to some of the other chapters that we may run across from time to time. But in those 43 verses, you see uh, three different individuals presented to us. And those three individuals are what many would call incurable. In this one chapter, you have one person who is diseased, one person who is dead, and another person who is demonic. You have uh, someone who would be considered hopeless someone who would be considered helpless, and someone else who would cons be considered horrible or horrific. Yet, the good news is, is thankfully in this chapter, we not only have those three different cases, we also have the case of the heavenly Savior who's there to help the hopeless, horrible, and horrific, or the heinous, or whatever you want to call them. He is the one who is the master of the impossible. Jesus is the one who is the healer of the incurable, and the one who is the Lord over that which is inconceivable. I'm going to do a lot of reading this morning, uh, so I want you to be patient with me. We've got about 15 verses we're going to read. Typically, I don't read that much because just to be completely honest with you, I am not a great reader. So if I skip a word, miss a word, if I pause, just be patient with me, and uh, we'll go back and get it. So here's what it says, beginning at verse number 1. It says, Then they came to the other side of the sea, to the region of uh, the Gennarines, or as the, uh, as the King James would say it, the Gadarenes. So they came to the other side of the sea, to the region of the Gadarenes. As soon as he got out of the boat, that's talking about Jesus, a man with an unclean spirit came out of the tombs and he met him. He lived in the tombs and no one was able to restrain him anymore, even with chains, because he had often been bound with shackles and chains, but he had snapped off the chains and smashed the shackles and no one was strong enough to subdue him. And he was, um, he was always night and day crying out among the tombs and in the mountains and cutting himself with stones. Now listen to this. When he saw Jesus from a distance, he ran and knelt down before him. Now other translations won't say knelt down. They will say that he worshipped him. So he ran and he knelt down before him or he worshipped him. And he cried with a loud voice. Saying, what do you have to do with me, Jesus, son of the most high God? I beg you before God, don't torment me. 
For he had told him, come out of the man. Talking about Jesus. Jesus had told him to come out of the man, you unclean spirit. What is your name, he asked. My name is Legion, he answered, because we are many. And he kept begging him not to send him out of the region. Now a large herd of pigs was there feeding on the hillside. And the demons begged him, send us to the pigs that we may enter them. And he gave them permission. Then the unclean spirits came out and entered the pigs. The herd of about 2,000 rushed down the steep bank into the sea and drowned there. The men who tended them ran off and reported it into the town and into the countryside, and the people went to see what happened. They came to Jesus and saw the man who had been demon-possessed by a legion sitting there, dressed and in his right mind, and they were afraid. Now, you read this story, and there's some things that you pick up on immediately, things that need absolutely no explanation. When you, when you see this man coming to Jesus, there are some things that just really jump off the page of the Bible at you. One of them is the fact that this guy is pretty miserable in his life, isn't he? When you look at him very carefully, you'll see that he is a, a, a miserable individual. I want you to do something for me this morning, just, just for a second. I want you to try to put yourself in this scene. Just think about it. If you need to close your eyes or whatever you need to do, I want you to just see yourself right here. Maybe as one of the disciples even. They have just come across the Sea of Galilee. They have been in a horrific storm. It's a storm that the disciples thought would eventually take their lives. They've, they've come across that sea, and that, that storm has tossed them backwards and forwards and left and right. And they got so terrified that they went to Jesus and said, Jesus, don't you care that we're going to die? And Jesus stepped out on the bow of the boat, and he just said three words, peace be still. Now, you're a disciple, right? You're, you've been with this man a little while, but you're beginning to see that uh, things are a little bit different than even you could have possibly imagined. When Jesus spoke those words, the winds and the waves just laid down at his feet like whipped puppies, and they continued on their journey. But now they pull up to this territory called Gadarenes. And Gadarenes was a very unusual place for a fishing boat to dock because uh, geographically it was a difficult place to navigate. You, you had steep cliffs that surrounded the entire town. So when you pulled your boat in, then you had to climb about a quarter of a mile up a hillside to get to the place where you could go buy a piece of bread or get a, get a drink of fresh water. Now, you know what the disciples are thinking at this point. Great. This is just great. We were on our way to somewhere, maybe Tiberias, which was just a couple of miles up the coast. We were on our way to Tiberias, and, and we thought we were going to have a great, relaxing evening. We were going to cook some fish. We were going to have a good time with Jesus. We were just going to kick back and relax. And now this storm has blown us completely off course. We're in the wrong place. I want to suggest to you that that was not the case at all. I, in my opinion, which... I, by the way, usually think is the right opinion. If you don't believe me, just ask my wife, right, Angel? Don't ask my wife. Never mind. Don't do that. I don't think the storm blew them off course. I think the storm put them on the perfect course. It put them right where the Lord intended them to be. You see, there was a man there in Gadarenes who had a divine appointment with the Lord Jesus Christ. And while the disciples may not have realized that this storm was carrying them to the place that Jesus wanted them to be, it was exactly as it should have been. I want to suggest to you something this morning. Those storms that you face in your life, we whine about them, we complain about them, we moan about them, we groan over them. I want to tell you that sometimes those storms are the thing that carry us directly to the foot of the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ. They are the things that get us into position for God to be able to use us. 
You see, you don't know how much you have until you realize that God is all you have sometimes. <laughs> this guy is there, and Jesus is there, and the disciples are there. Now, hold on. You're still a disciple, right? Just hang with me a second. You're looking. You, you've just stepped off the boat. You are still shaken to the core because you thought you were going to die, and the guy who's with you just told the winds and the waves to shut up, and they did. And now you look, and there's that hillside. And you think, holy cow, this day just couldn't get any more crazy. Well, let's start climbing. The sun is beginning to set. It's getting a little dark. And you see at the top of the hill that you're climbing up a cemetery. Now, cemeteries of this day weren't like cemeteries of our day. They weren't memory gardens with beautiful flowers and marble headstones. These were holes that were carved into the side of a hill. And usually they were rat infested. They stunk. There were weeds everywhere. And it just wasn't a pleasant place to be, especially at night. So they're looking up, and, and they see this cemetery that they're going to go through, and, and they get a little apprehension about it. They begin to get a little bit intimidated by it. And they look back at Jesus, and Jesus is just kind of taking this leisurely stroll, like, hey, all is good. So now, suddenly, boom, from out behind a rock or, or maybe one of the big weeds, jumps this terrifying-looking man. He is covered in dirt and dried blood. He doesn't have on any clothes. This guy has scars all over his body where he, he has uh, fallen on those rocks time and time and time again. And he smells like something has died. Now, I don't know about you, but I, I'm going to be honest with you. About this time, I'm looking for the exit. I am ready to catch the rabbit, and I'm ready to get on down the road. I, I'm kind of like the guy. You heard the story about the guy who was taking a shortcut through the cemetery. It's, this is kind of cute. You have to listen, though. You miss it. Um, he's taking a shortcut through the cemetery because it starts to rain, and he, he falls into this freshly dug grave. So he starts trying to climb his way out, and he works, and he works, and he works, and the, the sides of that grave are just slick as glass, and he can't get out. Little did he know the guy who dug the grave was back behind him in the corner. He thought it'd be a great place to have a drink or two, so he's kind of drunk back there in the back. Well, the guy in the back corner, after enjoying the entertainment for a few minutes, finally speaks up, and he says, you won't get out of here tonight. The boy who was stuck said, I did. <laughs> I would, wouldn't you? I mean, here's a guy, he, he's there in the cemetery, and he's screaming, and he's yelling, and he's nasty looking, he smells bad. Let me tell you some things we can learn about him from our scriptures. First of all, we know that this guy is demented. If you look at verse number 4, it tells us they had bound this guy. They had bound him with shackles and chains. Some versions call it fetters and chains. It's all the same thing. They had, they had looked at him, and they had said, look, here's a guy that at some point is going to hurt himself, or he's going to hurt somebody. We've got to do something about him. So we're going to take him over here to the cemetery. And we're going, to, we're going to put some chains on him. We're going to put some shackles on him. But what does the Bible say he did? He broke them. He shattered them. That's what it says. He shattered the chains. He, he destroyed the shackles. This guy is some kind of satanic superman. I mean, he is a guy who has absolutely lost his mind. And nobody can control him. Not only is he demented, he's also demonic. If you look at verse number 2, the Bible tells us that he had an unclean spirit. But if you look on down to verse number 9, it gets a little bit more specific about what was going on with him. It gives a little bit more details. Uh, Jesus asked him what his name is, and he said, my name is Legion. Now, to us today, that doesn't mean a whole lot. But in that day, they knew exactly what he was talking about. You see, Israel was occupied by the Roman army. And when the Roman army conquered, conquered a territory, they would send out what they would call legions of soldiers to keep the peace, to, to be the law and order of the land. 
a legion was about 6,000 soldiers. So what this guy is telling Jesus is that not only am I demon-possessed, that I have a lot of demons, maybe up to 6,000 demons, maybe even more than that. We don't know exactly how many he had. But I'm going to tell you, if you got one demon or you got more than one demon, you got some serious problems. This guy had some serious problems. And the Bible says that he was running around, he was screaming, he was yelling, he was, he was just having uh, what my grandmother would call a hissy fit all the time. He was just pitching one. But let me tell you what is the most revealing statement about him in the entire story. If you look in verse number 6, and I paused at it when I read it, and I told you what different translations say because I wanted you to understand how important that was. The Bible says that when Jesus came, this guy knelt down, or this guy bowed down to worship him. You know, I, I was thinking about this one verse last night, and I thought it was very interesting. I don't know if you guys have ever picked up on it. In Philippians chapter 2 and verse number 10, the Bible says that every knee should bow to Jesus Christ as King of kings and Lord of lords. But if you read over in Romans chapter 14 and verse number 11, the Bible says not that every knee should bow, but every knee shall bow to the Lord Jesus Christ as King and kings and Lord of lords. Ladies and gentlemen, I want to tell you something. There is coming a day when the entire world is going to bow down to Jesus Christ as King of kings and Lord of lords. That means all those God-denying atheists, they're going to bow. That means all of those high and mighties who make a mockery of Christianity and who, who, who try to scorn us into a closet somewhere, they are going to bow to the Lord Jesus Christ. That means all of those murderous thugs that we call ISIS, they are going to bow and they are going to recognize Christ for who he truly is. He bows before Jesus. Now think about this. Here is a man who is demented. He is demonic. But yet, he is bowing. You know what it reminds me of? The story of Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde. Now I don't know how many of you guys have read that story, seen a movie based on that story. But it's a story about a man who's tormented by two different personalities, two different lifestyles, so to speak. On one hand, he, he's a physician and he's gentle, he's upright, he's well-respected within the community. Yet on the other hand, he has another nature. That nature's evil. It's wicked. He's governed by impulse. He can't be happy as the good man because of the drag of that evil impulse within him. It, it always kind of tries to pull him the wrong way. But yet he can't be happy as the bad person because he is constantly feeling guilty about all of those things that he had done. I want to ask you something very seriously. Does that sound like anybody you know? Does it sound like you even? You see, I, I, I just want us to be honest this morning. I want us to be completely honest. The greatest battles I have ever fought in my life have not involved external forces. They have involved internal desires, things of the heart. The greatest battles hadn't, hadn't been centered around the devil throwing uh, a bunch of wicked events in my life. The greatest battles have been my mind saying, well, you know, uh, here's what you should do, but you know what you'd really want to do in this situation. And I think if we're all honest, we'd say that's where we are. We're not alone, guys. I want to tell you, we are not alone in that. The Apostle Paul himself said, you know, I'm just going to paraphrase him, but he said, you know, those things that I know that I should do or the things that I don't do and the things that I know I shouldn't do are the very things that I do. Sometimes in life we just get frustrated, we get irritated, and we want to kick ourselves around. 
and, and say, you know, I, I just don't understand. What makes me do those things? I'll tell you what makes you do those things. is the carnal nature that's within all of us. There's not a single person who isn't fighting the very same battle that you're fighting. You know what makes us different than those who are fighting and losing is that we recognize that the power that we have to overcome the obstacles in life, to overcome the temptations, is not within us, but it's above us in the Lord Jesus Christ. Let me rephrase that. It is within us too, isn't it? God's Holy Spirit resides within our heart. We have the power within us. But we have to realize that the power is within us and not us. How about that? That sounds a lot better. That's a little bit more accurate. So here, here's this guy. He is demented. He's demonic. And let me tell you one more thing about him. He is dead. Hold on now, Tony. Hold on now. You're telling me that this guy's dead? But I'm, I'm reading in the Bible that, that he, uh, he's running around and he's moving and, and he's, he's screaming and yelling. I want to share with y'all uh, a little something about my week. I've had the craziest week in a long time. Brady and I, my oldest son, were sitting talking about it uh, just Friday. It, it's just been a weird week. I, I had, for one thing, I had my first for real bike accident since I was 10 years old this week. I mean, it was ugly. It was a crash. Uh, and, and I'll tell you. There's not a lot of difference in the immediate pain between 10 years old and 47 years old. It's the days that follow that make the big difference, right? <laughs> Woo! Angel still can't touch me on my shoulder. She did last night, and I cried like a little girl. <laughs> but here's the other thing that happened this week that was really strange. Um, we, we sat in my office, and we watched a snake come out of the Regions Bank parking lot across Main Street and right up into my parking lot up next to the steps. Everybody's asked me, so what kind of snake it is? I said, it's the only kind of snake I know, the kind that'll make me hurt myself trying to get away from it. So we go out there, and I've got customers coming in and out, and I'm thinking, what in the world am I going to do with this? So I tell Brady, I said, go in there and, and just call 911, see what they say. So he calls, I ain't kidding, guys. I know, I know. First person that calls me a sissy, Angel's going to pinch you. <laughs> so I say, call 911. And uh, he calls them. They say, well, we can't do anything unless it's in the building. <laughs> I said, really? They want me to take this thing and put it in the building. So uh, I said, call animal control and, and see what they say. So they call animal control. Now, keep in mind, the whole time I'm out there on the front porch, and I'm keeping a watch on this thing. I, I've got him. I'm locked in on him. He's right at the base of my steps, and he's all curled up. And uh he, uh, he calls animal control, and they say, we'll send out somebody, and it could be ours. And I said, well, I can't do that. I, I've got people coming in and out. What if he bites somebody? So I was left with only one option. I had to dispose of that snake. Now, there's two versions of how that thing goes. One is everybody who was there, the people that are working there and are on the porch with me. And their version would be something like this. It was about four or five feet long and about yay big around. And Tony took a shovel that had a really long handle, and he stood on the top step as far away from that thing as he could get. And when it stretched out its neck, he, and at the same time, he let out this little eek that sounded like some little girl who was scared of their own shadow. That's their version. Here's the truth. None of them are here, by the way. There was this 18-foot-long cross between a python, cobra, and rattlesnake that curled up next to our steps at the office. And Tony, being the only soul there who had the guts to walk out and look this thing in the eye, 
got a shovel, stood on the top step, waited for it to stretch its neck out, pounced on it like white on rice, and took care of business. That's the truth. Let me tell you something about that snake. He kept moving. I mean, his head wasn't attached, but he kept moving. And that just really freaked me out. I didn't like that at all. The little boy who was standing beside me on the porch, he said, what's going on with that thing? He's seven years old. I said, he's dead. You just don't know it. Somebody needs to let this guy know. Legion, dead. Let me tell you how I know. Because what the Bible tells me. You remember what God told Adam in the Garden of Eden? He said, in the day that you sin or the day you eat of the tree of, of, of knowledge that you're going to die, that was essentially saying if you sin, you're going to die. Well, people read that story and they say, well, Adam didn't die. He lived for hundreds of years after that. No, no, he died. He died immediately in his spirit because there was a separation from God. That is a spiritual death. When God exited Adam, Adam died immediately in his spirit. And without forgiveness, you die progressively in your soul. That sin just continues to rot and to eat and to uh, decay you from the inside out. And then he died ultimately in his body several hundred years later. The Bible tells us in Romans 6 and 23 that the wages of sin is death. Listen, I want you to listen to me very carefully right here. And I, know there, I don't know an eloquent way to say this. But without Jesus Christ, a person is D-E-A-D. They are dead spiritually. I know you can go to some place where a politically correct theologian won't tell you that. But ladies and gentlemen, it is not our jobs to be politically correct. It's our jobs to be biblically correct. And the truth is, without Jesus, you just do not have a life. You may be dead and just don't know it yet. I've often read this story and I've just wondered, how did this guy get there? How did he get to this place in life to where he was in such a condition? The Bible doesn't give us any details, but I think he probably got there the way most other people I know that are in his position have gotten there. It was one step at the time, one slip at the time, one moment at the time, one little sin at the time. Nothing gigantic, nothing big. It just all began to snowball in his life. It just progressively got worse and worse. Have you ever talked to an alcoholic and had any single one of them tell you, yeah, this is the way I want to turn out? I wanted to be just this way. Have you ever talked with someone who is addicted to drugs? And them tell you, you know, I planned my life as a child to be a drug addict so I could lose my family, lose my friends, lose everything I have. Nobody will ever tell you that. Why? Because it's not the way they intended it to be. It just started with something small, something tiny, something unrepented, something that was just let go, something that continued to progress in their life. You've got a miserable soul. Here's a guy who is absolutely miserable in his life. But here's the good news. He's not there by himself. He's not there with just those disciples who are ready to run. He is there with the mighty Savior. He is there with Jesus. And, And when you read this story, you really get the sense that Jesus never flinched. I mean, maybe the disciples, when he came out from behind that rock or those weeds or whatever, they they scattered like a a bunch of little chickens. But Jesus never flinched. I believe he looked this guy dead in the eye. And look what he says in verse number 8. He says, come out of that man. He commands the demons to come out of that, did you catch it, man. You see, this guy didn't look like a man. He didn't act like a man. He looked like a beast. He looked like some kind of caged animal. 
He looked like somebody who had really gone off the deep end. But Jesus looked at him and he called him a man. And let me tell you why. Because Jesus didn't see him as he was. He saw him for all the potential that he could have. This man dwelt in a graveyard because he was dead spiritually. Remember what I said? Romans 6.23, for the wages of sin is death. Let me tell you the rest of that verse. It says, but, I love but in the Bible. That, and that's a great word because it means God's going to do something remarkable. But the gift of God is eternal life. The wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life. This man came into contact with the one who could give him eternal life. He came into contact with the author and giver of all life, the one who breathed the breath of life into Adam, the one who called Lazarus from the grave when he said, Lazarus, come forth, the one who the Bible tells us that when he rose from the grave himself, he had the keys of hell and death with him. Mm. You might have turned me down. I might get excited here in a second. The one who causes hell to shake. The one who causes demons to tremble. The one who causes Satan to flee. The man came to Jesus and Jesus gave him an opportunity at a new life. A brand new life. A dead man to have new life. Does that, does that register with us? How great that is. Here's a guy who has nothing to live for. This guy has no reason to be on planet earth. This guy has nothing to look forward to tomorrow. Except more cuts, more pains, more bruises, more hardship. And he comes to Jesus and Jesus begins to change him. <laughs> you know... Uh, Sometimes we think that uh, it's us or others who have the last say of life and death in spiritual matters. I, I was at a funeral this week, and of course, one of my favorite scriptures always is what Jesus said when he said, I'm the resurrection and I'm the life. You know, sometimes we think the coroner has the last word in life and death or uh, a policeman or a doctor or a newspaper. Ladies and gentlemen, it is not they who have the last word in life and death. It is the Lord Jesus Christ. He said, I am the resurrection and the life, and he that believes in me shall never die. We shall forever live in him. He comes to this man, Legion, who's running around. He's hoopering. He's hollering. He's, he's dead and doesn't even realize it. And now he comes to Jesus, and he just can't stay dead anymore. Jesus brings new life. Now, I know that's not a very uh, dignified way of saying it or even grammatically correct, but I think it's pretty good theology. When we come to Christ, bringing our deadness, bringing our burdens, bringing our sorrows, bringing our cuts, our bruises, our infirmities, then we come to the one who can do business, the one who can take care of those needs in our life. Jesus said, I have come that you might have life. And you remember what he said after that? And have it more abundantly. He doesn't want to just give us life. He wants to give us good life. I like that song we used to sing. Oh, victory in Jesus. You guys remember that song? Oh, victory in Jesus, my Savior forever. He sought me and he bought me with his redeeming blood. Look at verse number 15. In verse number 15, it says that when the people of the town came, and began to look around at what was going on here. They saw this man who, the, who was demon-possessed, who was, who was uh, demented, who was dead, so to speak. He is sitting, he is clothed, and he is in his right mind. I want you to hear me very clear me, clearly. The devil wants to wreck and ruin your life, just like he wrecked and ruined this guy's life. Do you hear that? You are on the menu for the devil. The Bible says that he's a roaring lion, seeking who he may devour. He is out there and he's looking for you. He wants to do damage to you. Some people treat the devil like he's their friend. I want to tell you, the devil isn't your friend. If you were neck deep in quicksand, he'd come over there and push your head down a little bit farther. He wants to kill you. He wants to destroy you, but not the Lord. The Lord comes that you can have life. The, the devil wrecked and ruined this guy. 
Jesus gave him back everything that he had lost. He gave him peace of mind. He gave him a, uh, he gave him a, uh, a hope that tomorrow would be even a better day than that day was. He gave him something to look forward to. The Bible says in Peter that we are not redeemed with corruptible things such as silver and gold, but by the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. Did you know that Jesus bought you at Calvary? I love the story about the little boy who had a boat. He, uh, his dad was a shipbuilder, and he, he wanted to be like his dad, like most kids do. He wanted to be just like his daddy. So he built a little boat. He, he took his own two hands, and he began to uh, form the wood and, and put the sails on it and worked really hard at getting that boat ready. And he was so proud of that boat. He'd take it out to the little pond behind their house, and he'd float it just to make sure it was waterproof. And he'd go back, and he'd work on it a little bit more. And one day he thought, all right, I'm ready for the big deal. I'm ready for the big scene. So he took it to the big lake, which was a few miles from his house. And he put that boat out on the water, and he watched it go across the water. When the wind picked up, and that boat went all the way across that lake and got completely out of his sight. He looked for that thing for hours, just continued to circle back and forth, back and forth, looking for his boat, never could find it. One day he was walking through his little town that he lived in, and he saw in one of the stores there in the window his boat. So he walked into that store, and he told that man his story. He said, uh, I built that boat. I made that boat. That's my boat. And the guy in the store said, no, no, it's not your boat. I found this boat. But you can have it if you want to buy it. And the little boy said, well, what would it cost me? And the guy looked at him and said, what do you got in your pocket? And the little boy reached into his pockets, and he pulled out every penny he had, and he laid it on the counter. The guy at the store said, I think that'll be enough. So he took the boat off the shelf and handed it to the little boy, and the little boy walked out of the store. And when he got out of the door of the store, he, he looked at it, and he said, boat, you're mine. You're mine, again. You were mine the first time because I made you, but now you're mine the second time because I bought you. Folks, on Calvary, Jesus bought us. When he said, Tetelestai, we translated this, it is finished. But it really means paid in full. God's plan of redemption was paid in full on the cross so you can have freedom. You can be free from the shackles that bind you. You can be free from the chains that hold you back. That anger, that unforgiveness, that, that worry, that fear. Those things which are devastating your life. You can come to Jesus and you can be set free from that. You can have that freedom that you've desired for so long. And all you have to do is get at the foot of the cross. You can come there and you can find a new life. You can find new hope. You can find a fresh start. Today's your chance. This is your opportunity. I don't know what you're wrestling with. Maybe your spouse does. Maybe they don't. Maybe your best friend does. Maybe they don't. But I want to tell you, God laid this message heavy on my heart this week. I knew almost from the time I left last Sunday what I was going to talk about today. Because He knows what you need. 